Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Couple game sevens in hockey. The Bruins join Elite Company as being uh, a record setting regular season only to not win a championship. Every major sports current leader in wins for the season has never won a uh, championship in that season. We'll get into that. Um, Rangers coming up on a game seven tonight. May 1st, as I'm recording this, uh, they have their game seven against the Devils, the Kraken expansion team. The NHL does such a pristine job with expansion teams. It's uh, it's very nice to see because they have the Vegas Golden Knights who have been successful and now they have the Seattle Kraken. They just won a playoff series in their first year as a team. Pretty crazy. Um, so we got some hockey and we have a movie review somewhere in Queens. I went to go catch it just on a afternoon where I had nothing going on late afternoon and I, I went to go see somewhere in Queens because I had seen one trailer for it just one I don't remember what movie I was seeing when I saw the trailer but oh I think it was John Wick it was during John Wick I saw this trailer Ray Romano he, he directed it as well um and I was like you know what it looks like a good wholesome movie I'm a kind of a sucker for those nowadays I feel like they don't really make many of them anymore uh, and I went to go see it, and it was fantastic. So I'll talk about Somewhere in Queens. We could probably start, I don't know if we're going to start, we'll start the show with Somewhere, the Somewhere in Queens movie review. Uh, but we have the NHL, NBA playoffs, of course. Knicks already down one nothing to the Heat. The Suns might be cooked against this Nuggets team. Doesn't really, I mean, they're, again, one game in, doesn't seem like a good matchup for them. And the Sacramento Kings coming up just short against the Golden State Warriors. Why experience was the main factor in that series. And then Lamar Jackson, the NFL. Lamar Jackson signs his extension with the Ravens, finally. NFL draft, winners, losers of the first round, at least. I have some, um, I think we have some, some stats I can pull up about who had the quote-unquote best draft. Obviously, it's subjective. Things can go bad for some teams. Think Some teams can you know, go worse, depending on if late-round draft picks hit and all that. But there are certain metrics to, to gauge, see how, the, how you do draft in terms of position and needs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the Yankees suck. The Yankees are bad because they're injured, they can't field a good team, and there are seemingly no repercussions for their problems. All of that on this week's episode. Again, very exciting stuff. Uh, but quickly, if you sign up to Underdog Fantasy app using promo code Animal House, you will get a 100% match deposit up to $100. Quick, easy. Uh, link is in the description of the podcast. Thank you all very much. Now, spoiler alert. Obviously, if you've never seen Somewhere in Queens, I am doing a spoiler review. It's really, really good. Go see it if you have it and then come back and listen to this. Somewhere in Queens. It'll be a quick review. Uh, it's not a very long movie, hour and 47 minutes, which brevity is, you know, kind of lost in Hollywood today. A lot of movies are two hours and change, two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes. Long, long movies. Uh, this was rather short. Comedy drama, very, very, very good movie. Ray Romano, again, directed it and stars in it. He plays Leo. So here's, here's the wiki description, quick Google description. Leo and Angela Russo live a blue-collar life, surrounded by big personalities of their overbearing Italian-American family, where their son's chance at a life-changing basketball scholarship is jeopardized. Leo risks everything to help him, 
but may tear his family apart to make it happen. So basically they have a son. So Leo and Angela Russo are Ray Romano and Laurie Metcalf, both phenomenal in this movie. Really good. Leo works with his dad, Russo construction. You know, they do housework, construction work on houses and stuff like that. Very, you know, Italian American Queens, normal, like family business that they do. Um, and he seems rather successful. Like they're, they're pretty good. His younger brother, who's played by Sebastian Maniscalco is the foreman and the guy who looks like he's really set up to be like the successor to their dad in that family business. But Leo seems okay with that. He seems reserved, you know, not really trying to do anything crazy. Um, Lori and him, Lori's recovering from cancer. They have kind of like a interesting relationship in terms of how, you know, they interact. Obviously, they've been going through a tough time and, and it's stressful. They have a son, Matthew, which is funny. I actually knew a Matt Russo in college. I don't know if you guys listen to this, but still, uh, you know, it's funny when you hear names like that, that, you know, but they call him Sticks because he has super long legs and he's always had long legs since he was a kid. So they call him Sticks. Now, Sticks, super shy, high anxiety. Like the kid doesn't talk like the uh, Leo, Ray Romano's character in the movie has, you know, he'll say a couple times throughout the movie that uh, Sticks doesn't talk. He only ever really felt comfortable talking at home because that's where he felt safe. He didn't like, he didn't feel safe at school. He was super anxious in school, didn't really have too many friends. And he wasn't weird by any account. He was just super quiet, but he was really good at basketball. And there's a moment where they're playing this game and Sticks is having a great game and they're playing like the best team from Jersey. And there's a, he gets a, a shot in the corner where it looks like he has a chance to win it at the buzzer, but instead the best player on the court who's getting recruited by these different colleges smacks the ball away and rejects him and the season's over. So then, it, you know, things change for Sticks where this, this reserved quiet kid who doesn't, who, you know, had just planned to go work for his dad after he graduated high school, like his brother's kids do, who, you know, he brags, Sebastian Maniscalco's character, he brags about how his son, his 22-year-old son bought a Mustang and all that. Like, things are good. Things are good. A scout who was there for the kid in Jersey tells his parents in the parking lot, Leo and Angela, that um, Sticks is really good. Like, no mid-tier college team has come sniffing around for his boy. And they're like, no, whatever. So the scout puts in some calls. Turns out Drexel has an opening. Shout out Drexel, CAA, same league as Hofstra. So that resonated with me a little bit. But he goes to try out for the Drexel team. And this is where the other part comes in. He has a girlfriend, new girlfriend. She's from Forest Hills. She doesn't go to his school. They met somewhere else, I guess. She said he, she approached him in a parking lot. I don't know. They were dating. Um, pretty girl, blonde girl, whatever. And she has, you know, dated other guys before and obviously sticks hasn't he's very reserved very quiet so he gets you know I, i'm sure a lot of people out there this is a story about first love right he falls for this girl who's not really like that and he gets his heart broken and then the conflict comes in where now leo who loves that his son plays plays basketball and feels important he feels important that his son plays basketball he goes to the girl's house and asks him, please just stay, 
date him for two more weeks until the tryouts are over because he's heartbroken right now. He doesn't have his legs under him. He doesn't know what to do. Just date him for two more weeks until he either makes or misses the cut for this team, this tryout for this scholarship to Drexel. And then you can, you can be gone. She obliges because he gives, him, she gives, he gives her this heartfelt story about how, you know, he's only ever seemed to be, quote unquote, okay or normal when he's on a basketball court. He's able to express himself there. Naturally, this all blows up in Leo's face at like this christening or whatever. Um, you know, she breaks up, the, the girlfriend breaks up with sticks. She lets it slip that he came to my house, whatever. And then Sticks obviously puts two and two together that it's his dad. He confronts his dad. He gets mad and storms out. Angela, his wife, is incensed that he would ever do something so horrific, right? The rest of his dad calls him an idiot. His brother calls him an idiot. Like, it's bad. Um, and it's kind of funny to me because, you know, this is happening at a christening where everyone's yelling at each other. And I have certainly been in the, in the middle of some family stuff where it's like people are are talking and getting a, a little bit loud and emotional and they don't act like I don't know if it's just an Italian thing or just people in general but sometimes you get into family arguments and it there are arguments that become like you're the only ones there even though you're in a crowded room and it's not it's not comfortable it's not a comfortable scenario to be in but that's what happened here um Sticks ends up obviously these these are all spoilers. Like I don't know why you're listening to this if these aren't spoilers. I always do spoilers in my reviews, but Sticks um he ends up not taking the scholarship to Drexel because he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. And it's like you usually feel bad because you're like, yes, he got the scholarship. Like I'm so excited. And that's what you want for him for this kid, but he never wanted that. And that's okay. You know, he ends up going to Queensboro and he has this beautiful poem that him and his that his his dad and his mom are there to witness him at like the slam poetry club nice wholesome heartfelt ending and just a really really great movie well written well directed and something that i didn't barely even talked about was the italian american thing super spot on if you're if you grew up in that lifestyle it is spot on especially if you have family in queens and that kind of in that kind of shtick you know it is so accurate and so funny <laughs> there's this scene where you know she, the the girl's in the car with sticks and she's like so is it someone's birthday or something and he's like no it's just it's just sunday she's like so everyone in your family gets together for sunday dinner and he's like yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> and it's like so foreign to her but like so natural right like the one when angela invites her to dinner on Sunday. She's like, she's like 12 o'clock. She's like dinner at 12. Awesome. Like hilarious. Right. Uh, she put one of the aunts puts out like this. It's a uh, antipas tray and, and with like meats and stuff, prosciutto and all that kind of stuff and cheese crackers, whatever puts it out on the table. And she's like, don't eat all of this. We're eating in 20 minutes. <laughs> so I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's the grandpa or Sebastian Maniscalco's guys are like, if we're eating 20 minutes, what the fuck are you putting all this out for? <laughs> You're telling us not to eat all of it. Why are you putting it out? And she goes, because mom would kill me and I wouldn't hear, I would hear about it for the next six weeks if, she did, if I didn't put this out for you guys. Um, and then at the, you know, the table, the, the girl goes, 
So the the actress's name is Sadie Stanley. She plays Danny, right? Danny's the name. I forgot the name. Um, she was in the live action Kim Possible movie. That seems to be about it. Um, she's young though, twenty one, young actress. But Danny goes, "Oh, are there any more meatballs?" Because she they had like this whole deep conversation where she kind of wins over everyone in the family. Um, and everyone's like, all right, six, you got yourself a little firecracker or whatever. She goes, are there any more meatballs to try and break the ice? And the grandma's like, oh, I'll go make more. I'll go make more. I'll go make more. And everyone's like, and she's like, no, 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 you don't have to make more. And he's like, everyone's like, nope, not too late, too late. She's gone. She's gone. You did it. She's going to make more meatballs. We're going to get a whole nother bowl of meatballs now. Like very, very, uh, accurate stuff. Um, it's great. It's great. It was, it was really, really, really good heartwarming movie heartfelt movie i would recommend to go see it to everybody um obviously you know i just told you the whole movie but still um yeah really good really good stuff and i i enjoyed it tremendously obviously i grew up in that kind of background um not obviously (laughs) but i did grow up in that kind of background so it was uh very familiar in that sense and it was just uh really Really, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's soulful, almost like gets you tugs at your heartstrings. Really, um, a a caring movie. Like Ray Romano, the way he directed it, and you know the way he was even acting it. It was very, you could tell, very uh, like a personal, very um, family centric, and just normal, normal problems, normal things that happen in in family life and conflict and first love and heartbreak and following your your heart and what you want to do and and how you approach things and anxiety is is a mainstay in that because Styx has a lot of anxiety um and how to deal with that and Leo himself is a pretty seems to be a pretty anxious person as well but yeah it was just it was great it was a great movie man great movie had me crying at the end so I laughed I la- audibly laughed out loud I was the only person in this theater it was like five o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) so i audibly laughed out loud like i would say three or four times like genuine laughs in this movie and then i cried at the end so laughed cried two check boxes there that just really let you know that it's a it's a fantastic movie so i it's not huge they didn't really do a whole lot of advertising for it you know Um, I, again, I only really saw one trailer for it. And then like when I wanted to go see the Super Mario Brothers movie after John Wick, didn't see a trailer, trailer for that. Um, a trailer for somewhere in Queens during, during that movie previews. So like, I don't know, just doesn't feel like they, they previewed it a lot. Um, or they marketed it a lot, small budget, but really good, really good. I wish they made more movies like this. And that's why I go and I go and try and see these films that are more like wholesome family normal stuff cuz everything today is like based on a video game or it's sci-fi, super over the top action, there's sequels, prequels, reboots. You know how Hollywood gets. It's all franchises nowadays. So to see a movie like this where it's like it's on its own. It's very, very, very normal in that sense where it's just like an Italian family in Queens that's dealing with real shit. 
like real shit that they everyone goes through right everyone's anxious everyone has anxiety everyone has the, the college decisions the first girlfriends the heartbreak the mom got sick you know with cancer people go through that family members uh that you have and it's just all very real so to be able to you know carefully and and passionately construct a story about relatable things i really really appreciate that obviously i'm i'm very appreciative for original stories in hollywood nowadays because like i said everything's a sequel prequel or franchise of some sort for the most part so you don't get you know real like uh original movies anymore rarely so whenever they do pop up i try and make a habit of going to see them because i want to experience that i want to experience that that new story something that is great and in this case obviously a lot of things in this movie hit home hit close to home for me so it just made it that much better but even if you aren't related to that kind of stuff uh still a great like family movie that i'm sure if you went to go see it with your parents they would cry so uh yeah somewhere in queens um out of 10 dude like probably a 9.5 like i thought it was awesome i really really enjoyed it really solid movie it has a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes so it's getting great reviews um obviously not a uh box office huge box office success because it's just not was marketed to be that way uh but it was really good nonetheless and romano also he co-wrote so he directed it i said that but he also um it's his directorial debut and he also co-wrote the screenplay with uh, mark stegman i hope i said his name right but yeah really good all right moving on to sports now finally uh hockey Two Game 7s last night, the Bruins and the Florida Panthers. Bruins had a 3-1 lead in this series, and obviously they're coming off a historic regular season, the best regular season of all time, 65-12-5. They're up 3-1 in the the first round of the series against the Florida Panthers, and they lose. They lose in overtime, uh, 4-3 against Florida. A shocking result, obviously, to drop three straight for this team who has been dominant all year. And, you know, they lost almost half their games in the season total in one series. They lost 12 games all year, 12 regular games all year, obviously five overtime losses, but 12 regulation games over uh, all year. So to lose four games in the first round, let alone the playoffs, was just like, no, I don't, I'm not, everyone was blown away. Like, this is obviously a, a huge monumental loss for this franchise. Um, and it's kind of ironic because I was going to say this is a total failure, but I'm going to defend Giannis and his comments later on in the episode. So it is obviously incredibly disappointing, but now every pro sports team with the best regular season record in history of that sport, has never won their uh, their playoff championship, their playoff final. So in the MLB, it is the 116 and 46 Mariners back in 2001. They lost in the ALCS. In the NFL, of course, the Patriots, the 16 and 0 Patriots, they lost in the Super Bowl to my New York Giants. Uh, in the NBA, 
the 73 and 9 Warriors lost a 3-1 finals uh comeback to the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. And now in the NHL, uh the Bruins who were 65-12 and 5 lost in the first round. So out of all four of those, the Bruins are definitely the most disappointing because they lost in the first round of their playoff series. Whereas the Mariners, you know, they lost in the the championship series for the American League. Not quite the World Series, right? But they they made a run. Um, nonetheless, disappointing. The Patriots coming up just short of a perfect uh what would that have been? 18 and 0. They were 18 and 0 at the time because they go 16 and 0. They get the bye week, obviously, um, and then they won the divisional game. They won the championship game, uh, and then they lost in the Super Bowl. And then the Warriors, a collapse of historic proportions for that team as well against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cav- Cavaliers. Uh, that being said, there is a bit of an asterisk in my mind. Like the the record books won't show it, but. The NHL playoffs are unlike any other playoff in any sport. Um, you know, the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA, in almost every instance, the better team's going to win. Now, obviously, this comes on the heels of the eighth-seeded Miami Heat beating the one-seeded Milwaukee Bucks, so it's a bit poignant, I guess, but... In the NHL, this happens a lot. Like, you get, no matter what the seeding is, any two teams in the entire sport, well, in the, in the playoffs, any two teams in the playoffs, regardless of the seeding, they can go seven games. It doesn't matter what your regular season record was. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, what your seeding is. It doesn't matter what star players you have. Like, it doesn't matter if you're an expansion team in their first year versus the reigning Stanley Cup champions, right? In, in the Kraken and, and Avalanche case. Doesn't matter if you're the Florida Panthers as the eighth seed or whatever and, and you're playing the, the team, the best regular season team in hockey. You can go seven games. And in this case, we got two upsets, right? The Kraken. Uh, upset the Avalanche and the Panthers upset the Bruins. Now, obviously, for the Bruins to be up three one and to blow it, devastating for Boston fans. I don't feel bad for you, but there is a trend with the President's Cup curse. So the President's or the President's Trophy curse. So the President's Trophy is awarded to the team that has the most regular season, uh, the best regular season team since 1985. It's been around. Um, it's been handed out 37 times, and only eight teams have actually went on to win the Stanley Cup, the last being the 2012-2013 Chicago Blackhawks. Um, eight teams, or seven, the Bruins are now the seventh President's Trophy winner, it is according to CBS Sports. The, pre, the Bruins are now the seventh President's Trophy winner to lose in the first round of the playoffs since the turn of the century. So since 2000, the Lightning in 2019, the Canucks in 2012, Capitals in 2010, Sharks in 09, Red Wings in 06, and the Blues in 2000. But needless to say, um, not a good trend. Like everyone, this is just the final results. Since 2013, um, the last 10 President's Trophies Cups, right? The Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. 
Then the Bruins lost in the second round. The Rangers lost in the conference finals. The Capitals lost in the second round. Uh, Capitals again, second round. Predators, second round. Lightning, first round. Bruins, second round. Avalanche, second round. And Panthers, last year, second round in the playoffs. So Panthers had it happen to them, and they dished it out this year. Crazy, crazy stuff going on. Um, obviously, two shocking Game 7 upsets there with the Avalanche and the Bruins losing to the Kraken and the Panthers. Uh, and now, tonight, Monday night, we have another Game 7, the Rangers and the Devils. Definitely a frustrating series um, for someone. I wouldn't say I'm a diehard Rangers fan, but I do support the Rangers. I would say if you ask me what my favorite hockey team is and who I root for, I'm going to t- say the New York Rangers, right? So... I'm not going to get into exactly what's been going on with them. The most I can say from an eye level, from a a surface level, is that they just look uninspired, or at least they did, right? To go up two games to nothing, you win both games on the road in New Jersey, Prudential Center. To win both games and then to go back home to the Garden and lose two straight Three straight overall, because then you go back to Jersey and lose again. Now you're, you're up to 2-0. You lose three straight. It's, it's crazy. Like the, That should have obviously never have happened. Um, but it is. It did, and here we are. So now they, they managed to get a dominating win in the Garden to send it back to Jersey uh, for Game 7 tonight. It, it's going to... I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Um, Ideally, you like to think that the Rangers in this scenario, backs against the wall, winner take all game seven, that these guys that they acquired, Tarasenko, Kane, everyone else on the team in general, right? Kreider, Panarin, these guys who have playoff experience and, and have made playoff runs, and uh, a lot of them are champions, right? You like to think that comes into play now at this point because. You're playing a very young Devils team, very young but very good Devils team, but sometimes experience comes into play, and you have to think that it's going to give them a little bit of an edge here in Game 7, but we'll see. Um, I hope they win. It would, it would suck if they lost. Now, last year, obviously, they were fighting tooth and nail. I feel like with everyone in every series, it is always a grueling back and forth. Again, the Stanley Cup playoffs are unlike any other sport. It is just a dogfight every single game, no matter what your regular season record was, who you have on your team, it's just a dogfight every single game. And you can be down 3 nothing, you can be down 3-1, and you, you're still in it. You can win. It's like, time and time again, it's happened. You can win. You're not dead in the series until that, that final buzzer sounds and that team wins their fourth game. You're never out of it. So, hopefully the Rangers win tonight. I mean, I'm betting on the Rangers to win tonight, so uh, they better. And Game 7 against the Devils, going to be tough. It's going to be a tough one. Transitioning to the NBA playoffs, I want to talk about Giannis and the idea of failure. So, Giannis was asked a question by the, the Milwaukee beat writer for The Athletic. His name's, uh, I think, Eric Han, 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 something like that. 
Giannis knows him. He addresses him by his first name, Eric. He knows who this guy is. Obviously, they have a relationship. He's the beat reporter for the team, for the athletic. Like, obviously, he's probably been there throughout the season and asked Giannis a handful of questions all the time, right? He knows who this guy is. And apparently, this, this reporter asked Giannis the same question last year. Do you feel like this season was a failure because they didn't win the championship? And Giannis, it's important to take context into consideration because everyone's like, Kobe would have never said that. MJ would have never said that. Blah, 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 blah. Like, no, dude. MJ is the guy who said, I fail and fail and fail, and that is why I I succeed, right? Kobe, in a different sense, says, you know, failure is a human construct. You never fail unless you are unwilling to learn. Then you failed. So they're all the same mindset. People saying Kobe would never say this. MJ would never say this. They say it in their own different ways. Like Giannis saying there's no failure in sports is he's obviously frustrated, right? Like he's up there after losing in the first round. He was he missed two games, three games, whatever it was. Basically three games because he got hurt so early on in game one that he, you know, doesn't even count really. He played less than 10 minutes, I think, in that game. Um, so he missed basically three games. And the games he did play, he put up like monstrous numbers. Obviously in game five, he was horrific from the, from the free throw line. There's no excusing that. But he was not the problem. His, his coach was bad. So Giannis to come out and say, you know, There's no failure in sports, and people are like, you're wrong. He is being a leader, and that is what accountability looks like for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Everyone's saying, well, he should be more, like, willing to say, yeah, I let the team down, I failed. He didn't do shit. He he did nothing wrong. Like, I don't understand what people want from him, saying, yeah, I was a complete and utter failure. Our coach let us down. Drew Holiday got cooked the entire series by Jimmy Butler. Like, what do you want him to say? Chris Middleton didn't show up. Our coach refused to use timeouts when we had him. There's so many things that went wrong in this series for Milwaukee. And Jimmy Butler obviously was a man on fire. Like, he was unstoppable. You know, you could have put Wilt, you could have doubled him with uh, Kareem and Wilt Chamberlain and he would have scored. Nothing was stopping this guy this series. Anyway, here's uh, here's Giannis on on failure. I just asked Bud the exact same question, but uh, I'm curious for you. Do you view this season as a failure? <sighs> oh my god. Uh, okay, because I'm not at up. You asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get the promotion every year? On your job, no, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success, you know. And if you've never, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So there's always steps to it, you know. Um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? 
Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year, somebody else is gonna win. Similar as that. We're gonna come back next year. Try to be better. Try to build good habits. Try to um, play better. Not have a ten day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball. You know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. So that is an important phrase that he says there, steps to success, because that is that mindset of, you know, a, a much more mature player. Um, and all these people in the media screaming, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it is a failure. That's what sports are about. Giannis is wrong, blah, blah, blah. Like these are the people who are saying, you know, championship or bust. Uh, you're not a good player if you don't win a championship. Like those, these are the people that have, especially in basketball, it is, it's, it's, this mindset is rampant in the NBA. Uh, because when you're a star player in the NBA, you have such a dramatic impact on your team's performance. You could be the best player in the world in baseball, in, uh, you know, obviously the NFL quarterback is, is a different breed. Um, if you're the best quarterback in the world, your team's going to be way more successful. But, you know, you could be the best baseball player in the world. You can be the best soccer player in the world. You can be the best hockey player in the world. You don't always win. Like, it's, Connor McDavid is so far and away the best hockey player on the face of the planet. And the Oilers have not won anything. Uh, Mike Trout, for how many years? And, and Shohei Otani, two of probably the top three players in the MLB. Trout and Otani are both on the Angels. And the Angels have not been good. So, they, they haven't won anything. Mike Trout's played, as, he's played like three more playoff games than me. You know, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not in the playoffs. They don't make the playoffs. So basketball has become such a, a diluted, like toxic way of thinking where it's, it's like, if you're considered a top five player and you don't make, and you don't win a championship, it's a failure. I, I like, I get it. Disappointment. You had a, you had a letdown or a disappointment, I would say is like. That's okay. If, let's say hypothetically, hypothetically, Giannis lost to the Suns this, that, that one year, right? In, in 2021. Let's say he lost. If, or 2020, whatever it was. Let's say he doesn't have a championship and he plays another 10 years of basketball, never wins a championship. And he racks up like, Two more MVPs. He's got four MVPs, never wins a championship. Is that a failure? Now that his career is done and capped, sure. Yeah, you can, you can say that's a failure. Yeah, because he, he was so good for so long, never won a championship. He has a championship. Like, he knows what it takes. It's not that it's not a failure. It could be a disappointment. I think disappointment is the better word because that is a, that's a feeling that 
people can grasp, right? Disappointment. Failure is such a a a final like uh way of thinking. Like it's you're a failure. That's it's it's done. There's no room for improvement. There's no room to come back the next year and and be better. There's no room for growth. There's nothing. You failed. It's over. You're done. That feels like a part of where we're at, where it's like championship or bust, which is just not true. You know, it's, I get what Giannis is saying and I respect him more because, you know, it's a, it's a good question from a reporter. It, it is it is a question that if you ask a lot of other superstars in this league, they just flat out would get mad at him. They would get up and leave. Like, they would be pissed, you know? Because that's kind of like, it, it's a good question from a journalistic standpoint, I guess, because you get, obviously, an amazing soundbite out of that. Um, but you're sandbagging them, you know? You're, they're just coming off, obviously, a debilitating loss. Uh, in that game five, I, that went to overtime. So even the emotions were even higher than than what they probably normally would have been. And Giannis is like, you could hear his frustration in the beginning of that, where he's like, "Oh my god, okay, this question again." Like, fine, all right. Um, and then he tries, he makes it personal. He tries not to make it personal, but he wants him, he wants the reporter, this guy from the Athletic, to understand at a human level what he's saying. And I know a lot of people went on and they said, you know, well, sports are about winners and losers, failures and success and all that. And it's just such a a bad way of thinking. Like Giannis took accountability as a leader in his own right. He was smart in his answer, right? Saying, you know, uh, there's steps to success. We'll learn better habits. And try not, I thought it was kind of funny when he said, you know, we'll try not to play the worst 10-day stretch of basketball that we can play. Because that's exactly what happened. 10-day stretch of the worst basketball of the season for the Milwaukee Bucks. And they lost. That, that's what happened. So it's, I, was, I salute to Giannis for being as calm and rational and as elegant as he was. Because a lot of guys would not, would not have answered him in that that reporter in that same way that Giannis did. He did it in a very respectable and professional manner and he just wanted people to understand like that is his way of being a leader. Sure, you can there are other ways of being a leader. You can be the guy that's like it was a total and colossal failure. We should be embarrassed of ourselves. Rah, rah. Like you could be that guy to, you know, try and be like rah rah light a fighter fire under your team's ass for next season, but Giannis is not that guy. Giannis is like Listen, are we disappointed? Yeah. Should we have probably beat the Miami Heat? Yeah. But we'll learn from this. We grow and we move on to the next day. Life goes on. Uh, and that's smart. I think that's a, that was a good way. He ha- handled that as well as anybody could have handled that. And the only thing I get really annoyed about with all of this is the schmucks that are on social media and on television who are like, Michael Jordan would have never said that. Kobe Bryant never would have said that. It's like they said it. They did say it just in different in different words. You know, it's not it's not exactly the same. Sentence, 
but it all falls under the same umbrella, right? Keep moving forward. Keep getting better. Keep learn from your mistakes. Learn how you can how you can fix things year after year after year. Continue to grow and get better. Just because you didn't win it all doesn't mean it was a failure. You pick it up the next year and the day after that, you pick up the day after that, the day after that, the month after that, and the year after that, and you just keep moving forward. You keep doing that. And Jordan said, now Jordan uses the word failure explicitly in that, in that quote that he has that people are like, I fail and fail and fail, but that is why I succeed. It's the same mindset. Same mindset. I didn't, I didn't get it done. But you know what? I learned from it and I grew. Kobe said, failure is a human construct that we created. Failure does not exist unless you stop being willing to learn. As long as you are always willing to learn, failure does not happen. You continue to grow and, and, and strive and, and be better. Giannis steps to success. Just because we win this, we didn't win this year does not mean it's a total failure. We'll learn, we'll practice good habits, we'll get better, and hopefully next year, the year after that, whatever it is, we can win a championship. Another championship. These are, and, and make no mistake about it, it's not a, it's, it's not like a, a complete coincidence that Giannis said something like this. He got this, he got this ideology from Kobe. He, he got this, uh, this, you know, continue to grow and get better ideology from Kobe because that, that's, it's one of his idols. And obviously they had an open line of communication and stuff. And Kobe obviously on Twitter famously challenged Giannis to win an MVP. He won an MVP. Then he challenged Giannis to win a championship. He won a championship. Like these are the things, right? So yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a coincidence. That that's how he responded, and that's and he knew that question was coming too. So you know, this isn't just like some spur of the moment. Oh, you know, I uh, he like was speaking from the heart. He thought long and hard about this response because he got it last year, and he said he didn't know how to answer it. And you know, when they lost this year, he knew that this dude was gonna come out and ask him with this question again, and he was ready. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. And he made a great point, I think. So if, if, you, if you're talking to people about basketball and all they talk about is championships and, and rings and like those are the only thing that matter, then Bill Russell would be the greatest basketball of all time. And the second ba- best basketball player of all time would be Robert Ori. Like Big Shot Bob would be the, best ba- the second best basketball player of all time. You guys think Bill Russell and Bill Shot, Big Shot Bob are, are the best basketball players of all time? Because I certainly don't. So... I understand it's subjective and like winning could weigh more in on you, but like context matters. So if you're looking back on, make no mistake about it. This, this season was a disappointment for the Bucs. I mean, losing in five games to the eighth seeded Heat. Like I know the Heat have eliminated the Bucs before and the Bucs have eliminated the Heat before on their way to a championship. Now, they have history. But it's not a failure. It, it, the disapp- it's a disappointment for sure. But Giannis, I think, is spot on with this. Um, I mean, again, he missed basically three games. He played a quarter in game one. Tried to come back. Didn't work. He stayed out. Missed games two and three. Came back for game four and five. He put up a 
five-point triple-double, whatever. He put up a triple-double in game three or in game four, and then in game five, he had like 38 and 20. And the only blemish was that he was 10 for 23 from the free throw line. That's the only thing you can knock him for. Like, he played his ass off. His, everyone, the team let him down a little bit, you know? Like, people got cooked. The matchup was bad. Eric Spolstra, in my opinion, this is the biggest reason they lost. Eric Spolstra coached circles around Mike Budenholzer. Coach Bud needs to be fired. That's my biggest takeaway from the series. Bud was way in over his head, made absolutely zero adjustments the entire series, and Eric Spolstra made all the adjustments, and he cooked him. Coached him into the shadow realm. Uh, moving on from that series, let's continue with the Heat, because they took a one nothing lead over the Knicks. They steal game one in Madison Square Garden. The Knicks were without Julius Randle, who rolled his ankle in that game five victory over Cleveland, even though he, was, he started off playing great. And of course, he rolls his ankle, the same ankle that was injured prior to the playoffs, which he had rehabbed enough to to continue to play in the playoffs. Um, So that was a huge missing link for the the Knicks to not have Julius Randle. Late in the game in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler rolled his ankle and is now, quote-unquote, rehabbing around the clock to be ready for Game 2 at MSG on Tuesday. So... If Jimmy Butler's out, the Knicks got to win that game. Like, flat out, plain and simple. If Jimmy Butler's in, the Knicks got to win that game. I don't know when Julius Randle is going to be back for this series, if at all, uh, considering this is a re-aggravation of an injury that kept him out like three weeks. So, they're going to be cautious with that, obviously. They want him to play. He is a huge piece to that team. And if, if he's playing in game one healthy, like the Knicks probably win. Um, just because of the threat that he is offensively, um, Jalen Brunson did not. I mean, his final stat line looks fine, but he didn't. He went like 0 for 9 from 3. And Brunson himself said, I, I got to play better. RJ Barrett had himself a really nice game, but just wasn't enough. Um, this is going to be a bloodbath. I wrote about it on AnimalHouseUSA.com. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bloodbath. Like, these two teams play really hard defense. And if you make one misstep, it's going to result in an open shot. Like, that's how the ball movement works with these teams. They have a nice balanced rotation on each side. Guys contributing on both ends of the court through all five positions. Two head coaches that are in their bags. Like, they are adjustment gods right now in the playoffs. Tom Thibodeau and Eric Spolstra are going to be butting heads, trying to outmaneuver each other, put in certain lineups to match up, um, run plays for other guys, adjustments on defense and offense. It's going to be tough. The one thing about the Knicks that I got really annoyed about is that after Jimmy Butler rolled his ankle, they did not attack him nearly enough because he was hobbled. Like, offense in the offensive sets for Miami, post-rolled ankle, Jimmy Butler sat in the corner. He didn't do anything. Kyle Lowry kind of closed it out for the Heat down the stretch. Now, when Butler hurt his ankle, they had had like a seven or eight point lead. So... The Heat just maintained that for the rest of the game, and I think they ended up winning by uh, by like seven points. It was like 108-101 or something like that. Um, 
But Kyle Lowry closed it out. I, the Knicks need to, they need to attack more. They need to, like, what the Heat did so well in this game, it was really physical, but the Heat did a better job of forcing the refs to blow their whistle. Like, the Knicks just were not aggressive enough, and, I, you know, RJ finally kind of figured that out. Too little, too late. Um, but this game, the series, is going to be incredibly physical. It's going to be a, uh, a master chess kind of levels of back and forth between Thibs and Spo. Really, really looking forward to the series. Um, big, big win for Miami in game one. Like, if they have to sit Jimmy Butler this game, they could. But now, even if he does play, he may not be 100%. So you're going to have to attack him. I don't care that he's the best defender on the court. When he's healthy, he is not healthy. He's going to have an injured ankle even if he does play. Um, you got to attack him. You got to be aggressive. You got to take it to the hoop. You have a size advantage on Miami. Um, they have shooters, though. They have shooters. And that's the thing. The three-point shooting is going to be huge in this series. Uh, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the rest of this second round with Miami and the Knicks. Uh, they, the franchises have history, obviously. Um, yeah, very, very excited for this series to wrap up. Um, hopefully the Knicks win, and they will play the winner of the Sixers and Celtics. And now that series may be shot already before the first game is even played because Embiid is doubtful for game one, which is also tonight, Monday night. Um, and if he somehow, he has an LCL sprain, that's not like a... Uh, oh, don't worry about it. He'll be okay. Injury. That's an injury that like you're missing some time in the regular season with that injury. So the fact that it's the playoffs and he has this LCL sprain, do you risk it and try and rush him back and get him to play Boston, a team that's really had your number? The only time the Celtics or the Sixers beat the Celtics this year, Embiid had to go like have damn near 50 20 to win that game. So it's, uh, Brutal situation to be in as as a Philly sports fan with the Sixers. You're just you're staring heartbreak down the barrel of a second round playoff exit to the Celtics. The the door is wide open for a Knicks Celtics Eastern Conference Finals. I want it. Okay, I want it bad. Other games we have Golden State Sacramento. So officially we will have a LeBron versus Golden State rematch this time in the second round of the playoffs. Uh very excited for this series. I was pulling for the Sacramento Kings. I was I was I was conflicted. I love De'Aaron Fox. He's my guy. He's been my guy. I love the Kings. Like they're young, they're fun to watch. Like I want them to succeed. I wanted Sacramento to have that playoff series victory, especially over the defending champs. It would have meant like so much, right? Uh, but the Warriors and Steph Curry just inevitable, man. Like their playoff experience. That's where it came down to with playoff experience. I mentioned it with the Rangers and Devils in hockey, right? Basketball, this is what it came down to, right? So Warriors win in Sacramento. They go up 3-2. And then the Kings put on a great performance in Golden State to tie the series up at three. Everyone's like, oh, what's going to happen? Steph Curry happened. 50 points in a Game 7 win for Stephen Curry. 
And that's just, it's experience, man. Like Curry and Draymond and Clay. Clay had a horrible game seven, but he was bailed out by Steph. Um, but yeah, they, like, the Kings just had a horrific third quarter. And that's really what it came down to. They could not hit a shot. They got rebounded into oblivion by Kavon Looney. The Warriors had 13 offensive rebounds in the, in the third quarter alone. So they were dominated on the boards. Basically, if you weren't a guard on the Kings, you were, you were bad. Uh, Keegan Murray had a, a good one good game. Sabonis got completely exposed all series by the Warriors. Uh, Harrison Barnes was just a, a complete non-factor. Horrible. And you think, you would have thought he had like maybe a little bit of a chip on his shoulder playing his former team and his former teammates that he won a championship with. Uh, but no, he, he was bad. Bad. Kevin Herter, great weapon for them all regular season. Could not get a shot to fall in this entire playoff series. Wasn't just one, one or two games. It was the entire series. His three-point shot was dog shit. Really bad. So, Darren Fox, I mean, he's the only... Darren Fox was balling out with a broken finger, basically. Like, he was... Uh, Draymond went and said, he said, he lost respect for Sabonis because he didn't shake hands after the series was over. And he gained a lot of respect for Fox because he's, quote-unquote, cut from the same cloth as Draymond, because he went out there injured, balled out, you know, him and, him and Fox were talking quite a bit, but it didn't look like they were, it looked like they were, they were both smiling every single time. It looked very like friendly, but competitive, you know? And I think that's something outside of the Sabonis Draymond stuff that happened in game one, was it game two, whatever it was. Um, these teams were like, Golden State's the old guard, they still got it, and they're trying to put the young bucks in their place, but the young Kings team is fighting tooth and nail to try and, you know, get past the old regime, the old champions. And it seemed like it was really competitive back and forth, like they were talking not too much, but they were talking enough, and you could tell Fox and Draymond were having a good time with it. Fox was really like, I'm like that, you know, I'm 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 fucking like that. And he was, man. Fox was, I mean, Fox, Darren Fox might've been the best player in the series. He might've been the best player on the, on the floor on, on average, obviously game seven, Steph went nuclear, but, uh, just on average game in and game out, Darren Fox might've been the best player on that floor. He was, he was sensational all series. And Draymond recognized that he's like, he's, he's legit. He's, he's the one bro. He's very, very good. And he has that, he's cut from the same cloth and you could tell. So he's like, I gained a lot of respect for Fox. And he said he didn't gain, he lost respect for Sabonis because he went to the locker room after game seven's loss. And he's like, you learn a lot about superstar players and star players for other teams when you beat them in the playoffs. He's like, game seven in 2016 against the Cavs, I went into the locker room after the loss because I was so pissed off and I was so like frustrated. And he's like, I was sitting there for a little bit and I was like, this doesn't feel right. So I went back out to congratulate everyone on the Cavs team. And then I went back into the locker room. So he has a whole thing where it's like, you can talk and talk and talk and talk as much as you want. But if you end up losing, you better show a little bit of respect because you lost fair and square. That's the way it is, right? That's how sports work. And I don't necessarily blame him for thinking that way. I think that's like a pretty respectable line of reasoning. 
Um, even though Draymond does do stuff where you kind of tilt your head and you're like, what is wrong with this dude? Like he says, he talks about respect and all that kind of stuff. And then he'll, you know, he'll be like crazy. But if you watch Draymond, no matter how many times he barks and yells at the ref during the refs during the course of the game, he always daps them up after. And I noticed that in, I think it was like game in the game five win that Golden State had in Sacramento. They had, because Draymond had a pretty good game, I think. Um, and he went up and he like shook hands with the ref afterwards, you know, even though he barks at them incessantly throughout the game. So he's, he's a bit different like that, you know? Uh, and I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, I lost respect for Sabonis. I gained some for Fox. So we got a LeBron, Golden State, man. LeBron and Curry, they're back. Hell of a series we're going to have there. I'm super excited for that one. Obviously, I will be rooting for LeBron and the Lakers. My glorious King Bron Bron. <laughs> every time I see, uh, every time I see like TikTok videos of LeBron James or something, and someone in the comments is just like, my glorious King Bron Bron. Like, it always makes me laugh, dude. It always makes me laugh. Um, last series I want to talk about here. The Suns might be cooked. The Nuggets might absolutely wreck the Suns and that is because the Suns just don't have a deep team um Chris Paul the the Nuggets are targeting Chris Paul he might be a non a non-option this series like he he might have to get benched for like campaign or Josh Okogi um <laughs> like he might not have to start they, the, the Suns might just have to go big they might have to go like Booker Okogi um Corey Craig, Durant, and Ayton. DeAndre Ayton sucks. DeAndre Ayton's going to get smacked around by, by Jokic. This is not good at all. Uh, and then Jamal Murray, the bubble Jamal Murray's back because he just can't miss anything. So I'm very nervous for the Suns game, uh, the Suns series. They're the later game tonight after the Celtics and Sixers. So they could be, they could tie at 1-1 or they could be down 2-0 going back to Phoenix. I don't know. But it's it's not gonna be uh, it's not gonna be an easy series for this Suns team again. Just on the the most important thing that they have no depth, none, absolutely none. You got to think if they had you know Cam Johnson, and Mikhail Bridges, they'd be a little bit better. But like you, you got Durant and Booker playing. They got to play 38, 39, 40 plus minutes a night if you want either even have a shot. So Monty Williams, he's going to have to cook up some rotations or uh, some, yeah, some rotations that can, can combat the Nuggets because the Nuggets just, I mean, they have Jokic and his playmaking and his rebounding and then, you know, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., guys spread that are just, they're, they're sharpshooters. I may have underestimated the Nuggets. I'm not going to lie to you guys. All right, NFL, and then I'm going to rant a little bit at the end here about the Yankees and how much I hate them. Um, Lamar Jackson, for a whole 10 days, Jalen Hurts was the highest paid quarterback in NFL history, and now it is Lamar Jackson. As I predicted, he was going to get a contract, and it happened right before the draft. So Lamar gets five years, $260 million. That is $52 million per season, um, a million more then Jalen Hurts, who's getting $51 million per season. And 185 of it is guaranteed. So he becomes the highest per year salary with, I think, 
like the fourth highest, fourth or fifth highest total guaranteed money. The, the deal had to happen. Um, obviously, they had signed Odell. It had to happen. Not only that, they continued to bolster it. They were linked to DeAndre Hopkins. That never happened. But they did draft Zay Flowers out of Florida State in the first round of the draft. So they continued to bolster the weapons around Lamar. They give him this huge contract, and he has everything he ever wanted now. He has a, a rookie wide receiver who is projected to be pretty good in Zay Flowers. He has a veteran wide receiver in Odell Beckham, who, if healthy, is still very good. Um, J.K. Dobbins is really nice. And if he could just stay healthy, the Ravens are going to be a threat. That's just the way it is. The Ravens are going to be a threat if Lamar stays healthy. Uh, speaking of the draft, my five winners from the draft uh, that I really liked. So the first round, honorable mention was the Ravens with Zay Flowers. The Texans trading up to get Will Anderson after selecting C.J. Stroud number two. They draft Will Anderson number three overall. They give up uh, like a first and a second to whoever had that Cardinals. Um, they send the cards the 12th pick, the 33rd pick, and a first and second next year. So it feels like a lot, but for a guy like D'Amico Ryans, who is an Alabama alumni, an excellent, he was an excellent linebacker in his own right, and obviously was a sensational defensive coordinator uh, for the San Francisco 49ers, first year head coach there, to get a guy that he can use basically as his his extension, you know, they talk about point guards and head coaches in the NBA being an extension to the head coach. For him to have someone like Will Anderson out there, it's going to do wonders for that for that team. So I'm just I'm excited for the Texans. I like what that new regime is already building over there. Um, other first round, I like the Eagles. They continue to bolster their uh, their Georgia championship defense. So they had N'Kobe Dean, they had Jordan Davis, and now they take Jalen Carter at nine, who falls. Obviously, he had horrible draft workouts, and he was overweight, and then obviously the off-the-field incident with the car accident and stuff like that. In a lot of people's minds, the number one overall player on the board. He slips to nine, and the Eagles take him. And then in the second-to-last pick of the first round, they took Georgia linebacker Nolan Smith. So now they have Smith, uh, Carter, Davis, and Dean all on their roster. And they also just traded for DeAndre Swift, who was on the outs with the Lions. Um, and the Lions traded him for a couple day three, a day five. I think they would trade him for like a, a fifth and a seventh next year or a fifth this year and a seventh next year. I don't know what it was. It, was, it wasn't a lot. Um, so they let Miles Sanders go. They replaced him with DeAndre Swift. The Cardinals trading back and then trading back up. They traded back to 12, then they traded back up to six. Basically dropped three spots and added a first-round pick next year, and they still took Paris Johnson Jr. offensive tackle. Um, so to draft him, to, to trade back, get an extra first, trade back up to get Paris Johnson with Kyler Murray, he's probably out a majority of the year, if not the entire year, with his torn ACL. Um, I, they're not going to rush him back. The Cardinals might get the number one overall pick next year, to be honest, just because of how bad they're going to be without Kyler Murray. Uh, but, you know, build your offensive line. Smart move. I liked it. And you get some extra draft revenue. Uh, the Seahawks got arguably the best defensive back and wide receiver on the board. Like, you can't go wrong there. They get Devon Witherspoon at five. 
and then they add him to already with Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, Mike Jackson, um, you know, Jamal Adams will be back, Quandre Diggs, they signed Julian Love. It's the Legion of Boom 2.0. That's what they're going for. And depending on how these rookies or the, the second-year defensive backs take that step, and then Devon Witherspoon comes in, what he does could be lethal. And then on the other end, you pair Jackson Smith and Jigba, who Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who were the, they were all teammates at OSU, they were top two in Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson and Olave. And to say that he is the most talented of the three, they've been on that, on that record saying it. Um, and I mean... When they were all on the team together, Jackson Smith and Jigba played the best. Like, he had the best stats. So, pairing him with DK Metcalf, I mean, now suddenly Geno Smith's got all types of weapons. They got a, Seattle's got a good defense now, still. They get Bobby Wagner back, which means a lot for the culture. Uh, they have Kenneth Walker, and then DK Metcalf and, and Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba out wide. Geno Smith's living a fantasy. He's living a dream. Um, and my oh, the Patriots first round pick getting Christian Gonzalez was a total steal. Uh, Washington drafted Mississippi State defensive back Emmanuel Forbes at 16, and within seconds the Patriots had their pick in. They snapped on Christian Gonzalez. We know Bill Belichick loves uh, you know, physical outside defensive backs and a, a guy that he can rely on. He's had Basically, a staple defensive back his entire tenure, Ty Law, Asante Samuel, Stephon Gilmore, uh, Devin McCourty for a while before he moved to safety. He's always had a good, solid defensive back that he can rely on. Now, McCourty is retired, so you get Christian Gonzalez, that might be Belichick's new guy if he pans out. Obviously, it's defensive backs might be tough, but he's built. It's like 6'1", 200 pounds. Good prospect. my biggest head scratcher was the Lions taking Jameer Gibbs at 12. It felt like a huge reach, very unnecessary. Obviously, they had signed Montgomery. They still had Swift on the books, but then that basically, it told everyone they're, they're moving on from Swift. Swift is Dunyans, and that's exactly what happened. They traded him to the Eagles. So this pick makes more sense now that, um, now that Swift is gone. And I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be really good. I still think 12 might have been a bit high for him, but, you know, the, the Lions, they got a good offense. They had a good offense last year. Um, Gibbs is a threat as a receiver as well as a running back. So they're going to, I think, Ben Johnson, the, uh, the offense coordinator for the Lions, was good last year with what he had with Jamal Williams and Swift and then their wide receivers. It's going to be the one blemish on the excitement for Lions fans is that Jamison Williams is going to be out for the first six games because of that gambling suspension. But when he comes back, I think they'll they'll hold out just they were fine last year without him. So they'll hold out just fine this year without him, I would think. Uh, But you're going to have Amon Ross St. Brown, Jamison Williams, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery as some offensive weapons for Jared Goff. Got to be excited. You got to be excited if you're a Lions fan. Uh, overall, these, my friend sent this, I'm going to pull it up real quick, um, from Warren Sharp, shout out Mikey, Warren Sharp sent this, the best value 2023 NFL draft classes, now Warren Sharp is known for this kind of NFL analytical stuff where he grades draft players, um, 
He hates running backs. <laughs> he he has led the charge for years now on the don't pay running backs and don't draft high running backs high movement. So the top 10 best value NFL draft classes. One, my New York Giants. Um, I'm very excited for the Giants, and I, I think they had a great draft. Uh, I kind of wanted Joey Porter Jr., but they opted with Deontay Banks, who I'm sure will be great. Um, they got Jalen Hyatt, who can't believe this kid fell to us, but we got a wide receiver and a defensive back, two positions of need for this Giants team, uh, among other draft picks. So I'm I'm very excited for uh, for the season and, and to see that. I'm glad Warren Sharp also thinks that we had a great draft. Number two, the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers move up. They get Broderick Jones, offensive tackle from Georgia. They traded up with the Patriots. Patriots moved a couple slots back. Kind of makes you think they were screwing the Jets over from taking the last best offensive lineman in the draft. Uh, but they get Broderick Jones, so a good offensive tackle. Then in with the first pick in the second round, they get Joey Porter Jr. Uh, and then in the third round, uh, they get Darnell Washington, tight end from Georgia. So just right there, those three picks. Um, and also in the second round, with the 49th pick, they got an interior defensive lineman, Keanu Benton from Wisconsin. So those four picks in the first three rounds, sensational value for the Steelers. Uh, they just, they, they, they know how to draft. They just really, really know how to draft. Uh, it's cool that they drafted Joey Porter Jr. when they also drafted Joey Porter, his dad. So pretty cool. Number three, the Eagles. Uh, four Bengals, five Browns, six Titans, seven Broncos, eight Dolphins, which being top 10 in this, in this uh, grading, and they didn't even have a first round pick because of the tampering bullshit that they went through. Pretty impressive. Um, nine Colts, 10 Jaguars. So the bottom teams were the bottom five teams were the Chiefs, the Niners, the Lions, the Chargers, and the Panthers were the uh, the Chiefs, Niners, and Lions were the worst three, and then it gets a little bit worse with the Chargers, or it gets a little bit better with the Chargers and Panthers. Um, those are the bottom five. So after the uh, the Jaguars, real quick, Ravens. Packers, Rams, Bears, Bills, Raiders, Seahawks, Cowboys, Bucks, Texans, Vikings, Jets, Commanders, Falcons, Saints, Cardinals, Patriots, and then Panthers, Chargers, Lions, Niners, Chiefs. There you go. Um, but seeing the Giants, number one on that list. Ooh, boy, I'm excited. Number one on that list got me excited. I love it. Um, they fill some holes. Good young talent. Jalen Hyatt, baby. Jalen Hyatt. For those of you who don't know, Jalen Hyatt's that Tennessee wide receiver who he caught like five touchdowns in one game last year. It was like his breakout game. He was sensational with Hendon Hooker. Sensational. So, very excited for that. Uh, also, the Lions drafting Hendon Hooker. Love that pick for them because... He's a guy, he's probably not going to play till next year because he's recovering from an injury, his ACL injury. But to sit behind Jared Goff, maybe you have. The only problem with Hendon Hooker is that he's older. He's going to be like 26 by the time he actually plays professional football because um, he's already 25. And Jared Goff's not like super old. So, you know, Jared Goff's 28. 
He's only a couple years older <laughs> than uh, than Hendon Hooker. So I like the pick, but also, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, to wrap up the show with just complete and utter disgust and, and disappointment, the New York Yankees are one game above 500 and just had one of the most embarrassing stretches of baseball that I've seen them have in quite some time. Um, Aaron Judge went down with an injury, and they just they haven't been the same since. So they dropped their series to the Twins in Minnesota. Then they get absolutely housed in three straight. They scored four runs in three games. They lost 5-2, 2-0, and 15-2 against the Texas Rangers. That's not even included. I mean, they won the first game of the series, four games to two. But Judge is out. Stanton's out. Donaldson sucks, but he's also out. Aaron Hicks keeps somehow getting into the lineup. He sucks. He's horrible. Radon's still out. I mean, they're just injuries galore across this lineup. And the one thing that pisses me off is like, you go inside Radon and then you're like, we're not done. But you were. You were done because they didn't sign anybody else. So they signed one pitcher and that's it. It's the same team as it was last year. Montez gets injured. You, 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 you trade for Montez, even though you know he's injured. And now he's useless the rest of the year. Uh, Severino got hurt. The rotation is a mess outside of Garrett Cole. Um, Cortez got shelled by the Rangers. Oh, God. It's just, it's so frustrating to watch knowing that, like, there are no repercussions for anything, right? Like, the Yankees could, I'm, I'm, fully believe, and this is how disgusting it is, that the Yankees could finish dead last in the AL East and Cashman and Aaron Boone would still have their jobs. Like, Cashman, I thought Cashman and Boone should have been gone. Cashman and Boone got extensions. I, they're, they're, it's the complete opposite thinking of what, whatever's happening is the complete opposite of what I'm thinking. It's just flat out bad. It's disgusting. And there are no repercussions for anyone. Like, Every play, Aaron Hicks is the worst MLB player in the league. He's horrible. He doesn't run after anything in the outfield. He doesn't make any type of hustle plays. He drops fly balls. He, God knows he's never going to get a goddamn hit. He's horrible. Bad. He's flat out bad at the game of baseball. And he continues to weasel his way into this lineup. Why? Why? Eat that money. Eat it. We just saw the, the Arizona Diamondbacks just ate like $40 million to get rid of Madison Bumgarner because he sucked. Madison Bumgarner was so goddamn bad for the D-backs that they ate this year's salary and next year's salary to DFA him and get him off the team because he was that bad. What? The, the, you're telling me the Yankees won't do the same for Aaron Hicks. He is horrible he is stealing playing time from other guys who can actually maybe contribute to this team and he sucks he sucks and then the fact that even a few weeks ago to think that he had the goddamn guts and gall to say i don't know what my role on this team is if i'm not playing every day it's hard to get going you suck It's it's so frustrating, man. It is it is so frustrating 
to think that this is where this team is, that they have no repercussions for anything, like Hal Steinbrenner isn't going to fire anyone. Like, no one has to answer for just the mess. And you could say, well, everyone's injured. Like, it doesn't matter that everyone's injured. There's still the same problems. It's still the same team. Like, their, their biggest plan was for Judge to go out there and hit 65 home runs. That was what everyone was hoping for. Because you didn't really do anything. Like, I'm glad Volpe's getting a chance to play. I'm, I'm very glad. I wish other young guys got a chance to play. Because at least then we would have some semblance of direction. Right? If the Yankees were bad, but they're playing all their young guys to get them exposure and all that. And, we're, and you know, we're trying to compete while also cultivating talent. At least then you have the direction, but to have all these old washed up guys taking playing time from guys that are young and hungry, it's so pathetic, bro. It is so flat out pathetic. I, I just, I, if I, I can't stomach Aaron Hicks. I can't stomach him. He, he is, he's, he's maybe, uh, one of the players that I've, I've hated the most in a really long time. He sucks. He sucks. He makes me sick to my stomach. He really does. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Yankees are one game above 500. They're eight games behind the Rays for first place, and they're tied with the Red Sox for last in the AL East. Uh, and at this rate, <laughs> at this rate, yeah, no, they're, they are not making the playoffs at this rate. They need to figure it out and fast because we're in May now. May, May is a big month. You do not want to go into the summer struggling. You need to, you need to pick it up. Those dog days of summer are not, they're not, they're not going to be pleasant if you're sucking, okay? You need to figure it out. You don't want to have to be playing catch up the entire year. So pull it together. Um, and, you know, I could sit here and be like, well, if everyone gets healthy, we'll be all right. Like, again, just because the team is healthy does not mean that the same problems don't remain. We still have a lot of the same problems. Part of me hopes they finish dead last. Like, part of me hopes they finish dead last and Hal is forced to fire someone. Like, if you finish dead last after shelling out the big contract to Judge uh, and, and going out and signing Radon to a lot of money and, and having all these guys around where you're like, we can really win this thing. Like, we can really compete for a championship. And then to finish in last place in your division... Someone needs to get fired. Someone. Anyone. Don't care if it's Boone. Don't care if it's Cashman. Someone's got to get fired. And please, for the love of God, DFA Aaron Hicks. He uh, Eat the money. Pay him to not play for your team. It's the biggest insult you can give to a player. Pay him to not play for your team. Oh, God, dude. It's so frustrating. It, it really is. Uh... And that's how we're on the podcast, on a just a debilitating note of sadness with my New York Yankees who need to figure it out quickly. Uh, I'll probably try and get to go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 this week. Um, I have seen from just some trusted sources on TikTok, in terms of trusted sources, not that I know them, that I just I see their videos and that kind of respect their opinion because we have similar tastes. Um, that it was good. It was like a good send-off. Like, all the characters are done really well. And I expect that from James Gunn because he is a character 
Uh, he is an is a director in this superhero genre who he's one of the rare ones who truly deeply cares about the characters that he is putting in his story. Um, unlike a lot of other actors who love to character assassinate for no reason. So I, I am going to go and, and say goodbye to the Guardians of the Galaxy because this is their final installment. Um, I'm not sure how heavily involved they'll be in the future of the MCU, but James Gunn, this is his last project for, for Marvel. Uh, he is going now to his new role as basically top dog of DC, and he's going to be, you know, making those movies and, and those characters come to life for me. So I'm excited to see what he does there, but I will definitely try and go uh, see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 this week. If not this week, then definitely next week. Um, but I'll try and go get it this week. That way we can have a review next week and talk about it. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you all very much for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a great rest of your week. And I will talk to you all next Tuesday.